Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fassett. On this episode, we get to meet Japanese Breakfast. That is the moniker for Michelle Zahner, who has now released her third record under the Japanese Breakfast name called Jubilee. In this chat, she and I discuss at length some of the sonic inspirations and the lyrical inspirations behind this new record, including her goal in general to celebrate joy, something she feels maybe isn't celebrated often enough in popular music. We also talk about her debut memoir, Crying in H Mart, which came out a few months ago and landed on the New York Times bestsellers list. The memoir centers largely around her relatively complex relationship with her late mother. So she and I talk a bit about that, the concerns that she had with some of her family reading the book, as well as the dichotomy between personal and fictional in her songwriting. We talk about the freedom she felt of the third album with Jubilee, as well as the complicated origin story of her single, Posing in Bondage. We talk about a lot more too and I really think you'll enjoy it. So thank you for listening. This is me meeting Japanese Breakfast. How are you? Hi, there you are, in the ether. I feel like you have such a podcast voice. You feel like what? You have such a podcast voice. Oh, I appreciate that considering (laughs) I've only been doing this for like a year, but. You said hello and I was like, oh my God, I'm on a podcast. Oh no, it's begun. (laughs) In a good way. I mean, hey, I appreciate it. Important thing. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, what the hell am I doing? I don't know. Um, How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm I'm just coming down from work, so (laughs) I'm. So this is a nice, like, this is going to be a nice, chill hangout session. Great. Do you need me to record anything on my end or? No, I, I record both. It's fine. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me today. Um, I'm sure you're quite busy these days with all your uh, many plates spinning. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so... Just off the top, let's talk about some of those plates. Um, you have a new album, which I believe when this goes up will already be out, but it's coming out on June 4th on Dead Oceans. It is called Jubilee, your new, uh, your third album as Japanese Breakfast. Um, you also had a book, like literally just come out into the world, um, Crying in H Mart, which is a memoir. So you are having quite a year. Um where are you emotionally right now? How, how are you doing with all of that going on? Um, I feel like I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Um, <laughs> I, it's all been very surreal. A lot of people have kind of prefaced interviews with like, how does it feel like to be experiencing this? And, you know, it's, I'm just inside in my apartment uh, right. and things feel like pretty much the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just delighted. I was so nervous, um, for this book in particular. Um, and I never thought that this book was going to come out before this record. So I honestly haven't even thought much about the record coming out because like (laughs) it's been such a whirlwind. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to appreciate it, but it's been, it's, it's kind of tough because I I'm, I'm doing so many interviews and, um, I haven't really like had much time to be like, to like revel in it all. 
Um, but I feel like yeah. once we are released into the world, it'll it'll hit me a little bit more. Yeah. So the the, the book came out um, in April. Is that right? April twentieth or twenty. April twentieth, and so not even two months on, you're going to put out a, a new record. Um, you are, as far as I've been aware of you, you, you you've never been a songwriter to shy away from, you know, getting real and getting personal in your lyrics. Um, but now you have that in a whole different form, um, in the book form, coming out at the same time. Um, do you feel any differently about? that side of you being revealed versus a jubilee side of you being revealed jubilee feels very low pressure now. okay <laughs> um i think also just because i was like i want to write an album about joy and i don't know um i also think i've allowed myself to be like a little bit more cryptic with this record um mm -hmm. maybe because i've just exposed so much of myself in the book um i was definitely nervous about the book coming out and there were moments that i was you know really um over analyzing like what people would think of me but i've been really delighted by the response it's been overwhelmingly positive and every time i've encountered any slight negativity i just you know think they're really stupid so <laughs> Um, it's been pretty easy to like brush off anyone that hasn't been a fan, which is surprisingly few and far between. I was on it, to be honest, I was so worried about the Asian American community um, mm -hmm. and feeling like I was like pandering in some way um, e on either side. Uh, yeah. And it, it's been overwhelmingly not like that. And I've had, you know, I've had people um, write to me about my music moving them in some way, but the type of like male not male, but like <laughs> those letters that you get with stamps. Those type of DMs that I get about the book um, have just like really floored me on it. I mean, the amount of like the way that a book can touch people, particularly this type of book, has been really moving in this way that I didn't even anticipate. You know, so much of the book was just written for me to figure stuff out. And I just tried to. You know, and I had this like validation before of writing records that, you know, were for me and felt like very specific to my experiences and wound up being these very universal things. And, you know, so I had some encouragement of like just continuing on that path. Um, hmm. But I didn't anticipate this big of a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was good, but I wasn't yeah. like. <laughs> But well, no, me, of course. Yeah. I, I didn't even think it was good. Like, I was so honestly, like, I was devastated when I turned in the book because, you know, I just think you just push as hard as you can go. And it always feels like you should be in my head. It's like I see myself like three steps above where I actually land. I, mm -hmm. I feel like I always try to do that. You know, I, I can I can see this like smarter more like literary version of myself in the horizon and I can never quite meet it um and so I was so devastated when I turned it in and I had to just really console myself of just like this is where you're at right now you've never written a book like this is where your skill set lies like this is the best you can do right now I felt like I just lost all perspective because I'd just been in it for so long and then right. it took me many months before I like it wasn't really until I like reread the audiobook um and I revisited the material for like three consecutive days and I was like this is pretty good like it's okay <laughs> it's going to be okay you know um but for a while there I I wasn't I really wasn't sure Yeah well that distance too that you can't get while you're writing it you know you get the distance 
you you took a I'm I'm assuming a, a quite a pause before you went back to do the audio version. Yeah, yeah. Like, so so yeah, you get that like time away, and then you come back, and maybe you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, there's some good stuff here. <laughs> oh yeah, this isn't too shabby. Okay. <laughs> um. So we will definitely talk more about the book. Um in a bit, but I do want to get into this record a little. So Jubilee, like I said, it's your third record. You are three for three with Dead Oceans, which is always nice to see. Um, so your first record, Psychopomp from, I think 2015, I want to say. And then, yep. And then Soft Sounds from Another Planet from 2018. Uh, 2017. 20, oh, wow. I'm like, <laughs> I'm totally, my notes are betraying me. Um, so you come from a decidedly sort of DIY, like lo-fi kind of vibe. Um, whereas I think Soft Sounds kind of did it a little bit and then now Jubilee is so, I don't want to say the opposite of lo-fi because there's still kind of that DNA in there, but it's so it's so bright. It's such a full production. Um, were you trying to kind of push yourself this time to kind of go in a more strong sonic sort of vibe that sort of avenue I don't know what I'm trying to say but were you trying to I, I were you trying say, to go there I will never I will say I never tried to be lo-fi they were right. just you know <laughs> the means like you know when you don't have any money I mean to be honest like not much changed I mean like we aren't in like a quote-unquote professional studio mm -hmm. um and it's still Craig Hendricks and I producing most of it together and playing most of it together. Um, but I think that we're just better now. And I think mm -hmm. I'm a much better arranger, producer, and so is he. And um, I just think that we have a better idea of how we work with each other and what we're doing now, in particular me. Um but yeah, I think that that was just more preparation. I think I was always striving to make something like clear and beautiful. I just maybe didn't know how to do it as well. <laughs> well, that's um, totally fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And we like, you know, had a bigger like recording budget. It helps to have someone like have a Kadri who mastered it and George Albrecht who mixed it, but they mixed and mastered the last record too. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of it is just having a better understanding of how music works, how dynamic works and how production works and... Yeah, and how to get that thing you're trying to get, you get a little clearer of an image of how to get there. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it is. It's a very colorful record. Um, you know, it's very textural. It's it's very, you said it's 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 mostly about joy, and I feel like it does even feel like your most joyous record. Thank you. Um, I think so, too. Yeah, I think I think quite markedly actually, because you, you you know you you've been known, and you kind of just mentioned earlier that you went to uh, a bit of a more cryptic place, maybe with some of these songs. Um, but, you know, on albums past, you've had songs like This House or In Heaven or Roadhead that are pretty personal, um, or at least obviously personal. Mm. Um, do you not think you did that this time? Were you trying Were you trying not to do that this time? Maybe subconsciously, I was like, I don't want to be grief girl anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, you do all these. I mean, obviously, it didn't work out for me because, like, the book and the album coming out right on top of each other. So I still have to do like interviews like nine a day of like tell me about how your mom dying uh, yeah. but I think subconsciously I was like you know it would be great to like explore the other side of the spectrum I felt like I was giving myself permission to feel joy in a lot of ways and accepting this like you know beautiful place I'm at in my life I'm also you know in my 30s and like you know I just liked you know like the idea 
I think that this is something that I've done on on records past more than people realize, but I do like that um, an album lends itself to incorporating fiction and nonfiction. I, I think for the most part, I write songs that are rooted in some type of reality um, because I'm interested in the human experience and connection and relationships and how we hurt each other and how we love each other. And um, sometimes those things are best explored through personal experience and sometimes they're best explored through fiction and um for me personally I think that there are maybe a a few more songs that are from these sort of like fictional characters um maybe largely because I don't you know feel as intensely as I did when I was younger and that's like what makes a great song is like those types of feelings and you know I don't feel longing or heartbreak in the way that I used to because I'm married gal you know and like things are like pretty great in my you know monogamous relationship and um but yeah I mean I I found myself like writing from different perspectives in some ways because I you know I think you need some of that drama I guess for, (laughs) for a record well there's also that sort of really old you know assumption about songwriters that they like only write about themselves and Mm -hmm. it does feel as it has seemingly for decades felt like women get the brunt of that um like I remember reading I think I was reading an interview years ago with like Nico Case you know who 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 hardly ever writes about herself but for some reason people just assume she did or like when PJ Harvey came out with um down by the water and people thought she like killed a baby You know, like it's totally. that crazy, it's totally. that crazy shit. Whereas she's like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm just a storyteller, like right. like everyone else. What's Fucking wrong with that? Dave does it all the time. Um, right. Yeah, right. I I feel like um, I remember seeing Bjork talking about Lunikara, and she was like, it's I wrote all these like other like heady top from like about you know biophilia is like, and and all of these like sort of like tech like records rooted in technology and no one mm-hmm. you know they were way less popular than when I went through this divorce and had to like excavate my trauma for you like only for sure that I like experience like were you so interested um so yeah I think that that's a a really fair thing and and maybe I wanted to like fuck with that a little bit too <laughs> you know like I think that it, you know there's obviously like a real sad indie girl stereotype and to come out with an album about joy just seems like perverse (laughs) well there's not a lot of them i mean joy and happiness like that's not what is usually the popular thing to write about for you know i'm I'm sure myriad reasons but it's not common so it's kind of refreshing i would think to to both be someone who's creating that and then also for us to listen to it it's it's not every day you hear an album that's sort of that's aim was about joy Mm. Is that where the title comes from, by the way? Like Jubilee, like celebrating? Yeah, definitely. I had the idea for the title for a long time. I wanted to return to like the one word title. And I just, you know, it's also the Asian X-Men. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that wasn't like the reason. But um, yeah, looking into Jubilee, like biblically, it's a year of release. Um, mm. The triumph, uh, it's a, a trumpet blast of victory. And uh, yeah, I liked the idea. I mean, there's just a lot of horns on the album and it, it felt like a real celebration and, and uh, letting joy in. So with that in mind, um, what were some of the sort of like musical, the, 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 the ideas and the motives behind some of the musical elements? Like what were you, what was sort of driving you this time? I was thinking a lot about LP3 like that was a really big deal for me because I think it's the first time that as an artist you can kind of look at your work 
in the context of the other work that you've made, you know, you mm. have like a catalog. Um, I was so, I felt so much pressure for the sophomore album. I, I had such a real fear of the, the sophomore slump and that my first record had been a fluke that I felt like for a third record, you should really have a good idea of who you are as an artist and what you want to put forward. And it should feel confident and ambitious and bombastic. And so the records I was, I was thinking about were like, you know, Bjork's Homogenic, um, mm-hmm. Loco Summer Teeth, Beach Houses, Teen Dream, like Fiona Apple's Extraordinary Machine. They're all records where I feel like an artist really has like established who they are. And it feels like all of the like things that made up their other records are sort of like coalescing in, into this like big moment. Um, so I thought about that a lot. Um, and I also was really worried, like as an indie artist that's, that was continuing to grow larger. I really didn't want to make a pop record. And so I've been, you know, there have been some, some journalists who've been like tempted to like pin that on this record. And I don't think that's fair at all. Oh, I lost, I lost you for a minute. (laughs) I just, I don't know why I'm having so many issues today. Okay, wait, I think you're back. The last thing I heard was that journalists are calling your new album pop. <laughs> oh, okay. Is, can you hear me now? Yeah, I think you're good. Okay, sorry. Um, it's fine. <laughs> this is the hazard of doing oh, a Zoom interview. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I feel like a lot of indie artists, like when they get to a certain level, they want to pivot to pop because like there's nowhere, it feels like there's nowhere further to go as an indie artist. And that was like not something that I was interested in at all. And I think a lot of indie artists like start sucking when they begin to like, pander to that um but then I was also really interested how artists like Kate Bush and like mostly Kate Bush and, B- <laughs> and Bjork like always Kate Bush and Bjork there's yeah, nothing Kate wrong Bush with that and Bjork, <laughs> like you know they are they're these artists with like massive appeal but they're so fucking weird you know oh, yeah. and I just wanted to lean into the parts of me that were you know I wanted to lean into the surreal I wanted to lean into like the weirdo like idiosyncrasies of just like my natural creative interest um and yeah so that was like what I was really interested in in trying for also Alex G is like another artist that like essentially like makes pop music but it's so wacky you know and Mm -hmm, I just like mm -hmm. that's what I really love about him and and so I just wanted to make sure that I maintained um and found that within myself yeah I think Kate Bush is a pretty apt um connection and not even that you sound anything like her because you you don't and I, I, that's another thing that always bothers me is when especially female artists come out with literally anything that's even remotely strange <laughs> and journalists are like oh it's very bush inspired yeah, it's like yeah. no it's not it's really yeah. not but um I do think it's not it's not a terrible uh link to make because if you look at her discography her third record is Never, never forever. Never forever, which is where she just started to kind of get weird. And then yeah. and then and then two or three years later, you get the dreaming, which is batshit insane. <laughs> and she still she still had it, you know, like she didn't yeah. she, she only kept growing. And so there is that room. There must be that room for weirdness. And everyone, it's a thing that people don't even it's not foreign to us, you know, like we know what weirdness is, but for some reason I think so many people are kind of afraid to be weird in their mm-hmm. music. But mm-hmm. I feel like you're right. Like this third record thing, it's like an opportunity to just be like, well, you know what? Here is really it. Here it really is. <laughs> Here's is what I really want to do. It reminds me of um, sequencing on a record too. Like, I don't know how obsessive you are about sequencing. Um, 
I'm pretty obsessive about. Yeah, songs. I feel like I, 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 I'm also um, a songwriter, so I, I, I get that. I'm like, see, I used to make, you know, like mixes for friends, and I'd obsess over like what song goes where, yeah. and yeah. Um, but that's kind of a similar thing too. It's like the first song, theoretically, introduces you to the record. You know, gives you maybe a little taste of what's going to happen. Maybe second song is like the the single or the, the 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 slightly faster cut, and then the third song is like the make it or break it moment. Mm. It's like the third song is such an important, I think, slot on a record. I think that's why so many record title tracks are the third tracks. Totally. Um, so yeah, I, I like that idea that you were like, you know what, I'm just gonna do my thing how I want to do it now, and it is what it is. That's all I have. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, I want to specifically talk for a second about the second single, "Posing in Bondage." Um, the first single, "Be Sweet," was very lived up to its name. <laughs> it's a very, very bright, sunny kind of song, um, at least in tone. And then, "Posing in Bondage" is sort of the the inverse of that. It's like this mm-hmm. still life moment, very gentle, but then kind of like increasingly propulsive kind of right under the surface this like frozen in time moment um what is that song about to you and what was the process of creating that one yeah um I feel like that song is about tension you know um I think sonically it just feels like taut and mm-hmm. um yeah I you know, sort of like bondage, I guess. I think I just love the image of, um, I guess it's about emotional neediness in a way and um, monogamy to a certain extent. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to be like more cryptic about- um, <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> what songs are about. But, uh, you know, I like the image of this woman done up in bondage, like waiting for someone who never comes home. Um, and yeah. it felt like a heightened- visual of what I think I feel a lot I'm like such a needy codependent person (laughs) and I never feel like I am getting enough affection (laughs) (laughs) um and so I think that you know it's like an exaggerated kind of version of that feeling and I I also think that it's about um like the bondage of monogamy in a way like how um you you make certain sacrifices for this like really in a good way like you make you make certain sacrifices to hold on to to loyalty in a relationship and yeah that's that's what that song is about um i i um i wrote it uh i think in like 2017 or 2018 for this polyvinyl um four track series and we craig hendrix and i recorded it um and we had spent most of our time on the first track which was called 2042 and then this one got kind of like a shitty (laughs) treatment (laughs) um and it was just very very lo-fi but it always really stuck with me because i loved the lyrics and and the song and um, just felt like it needed to, to get its due. And then I, I brought it to, um, I brought it to Joel Ford and Tom Krell, who are both from How to Dress Well, mm-hmm. who are both musicians that I adore. And we tried to work on it and it was, I've never talked about this 
Yes, hopefully they don't. <laughs> it was horrible. I don't know why it was horrible, but it just like they did not. It just was not a vibe. Um, it's nobody's fault. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was just like maybe if we had spent longer on it or if I had more direction. I just knew that it needed to feel tense and like full of longing and it just wasn't and kind of industrial. Mm. Um and I just it wasn't getting there. And so Jack Tatum from Wild Nothing and I had just worked on um, Be Sweet in like February 2018. Remember October or something? It says my internet connection is unstable. My... Oh, I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this. Um, yeah, so uh, Jack Tatum came to Philadelphia to my studio um in like September or October to like revisit be sweet and kind of clean it up and I had sent him posing in bondage and he really just like went off with it you know and he came and he sent it over and it was so close already to what I wanted that song to be and then we kind of like added like the weird pitched vocals at the end and kind of like tightened things little things up but for the most it was like one of the first songs that I kind of sent off with someone else and production wise, they came back with something really, really close without me being in the room. Mm. Um, and yeah, he's just like a real sonic wizard. Like he yeah. has like some real elegant decision, like tonal decision-making that goes on. Um, and, yeah, I, and he's yeah. known for such dreamy, you yeah. know, pop, pop music. And, and there is something dreamy about posing in bondage, but not in a sweet way. It's a very almost, nightmarish yeah menacing menacing yeah that's a good word for it yeah there's and you said taught before yeah it feels like this woman is like like I love that line early on you know can't you tell I've been like this for hours (laughs) um but like that metaphor is so so all-encompassing you know this woman who's just been however she is for hours waiting and longing as you say and then nothing comes it's that sort of climax that never arrives and that tautness yeah that i now that you said that word i'm like oh that's the word (laughs) (laughs) but you can feel that you can feel that tension in there totally yeah yeah um and speaking of that track i love the video for that track thank you um you self-directed the two videos that i have seen so far the b-suite and posing in bondage videos um there's another am i there's another one coming right oh, yeah did you self-direct that one as well i did i directed the trilogy i've directed most of my music videos oh, okay um what do you enjoy about that process about like directing your own videos versus maybe handing it off to someone else it's like so much work honestly <laughs> that i cannot it feels like sometimes there's nothing to enjoy, but I, I love conceptualizing the video mm-hmm. and I just feel like I'm, I have, you know, like when you start, it's like, you can't afford a director. And then it's like, you start getting budgets that are bigger and you don't want to give it up to someone mm-hmm. um, because you, you know, why waste this opportunity to like explore this craft um is sort of how i feel like um so much of directing feels like it's just rooted in budget like how much budget you have um unfortunately but yeah i I got to the point where i just like you know our budgets got larger and the ideas got larger and i just like i couldn't bear to just like give that to someone and i just don't trust anyone (laughs) like so um yeah and I, I I don't know I had a it's just I also just have such a wonderful relationship with Adam Kalani the cinematographer all the music videos that it would 
it would just be weird to give that up at this point. You know, mm -hmm. it just becomes such a big, I don't feel like the album is done in a way unless like this other part of the story kind of accompanies it. And we always do, we typically will do like three videos for an album and it always just like feels like a big part of the process. And I've always loved musicians who make that like such an essential part of their world. Like I love that Grimes is so involved in her music videos and mm -hmm. not to bring Bjork up and Kate Bush again, but like, no, but you know, they're, they're, they're like standards of that. Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's become, I don't know. I feel like artists that are really special always have really great music videos. So it was important for me to like, dive deep in that. Yeah. Cause I feel like music videos, especially maybe in the past few years, like they, they, they can be really cool, but they can also be cool and feel extremely like disassociated from the music or the work it's coming from. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I feel like people like Bjork and I, yeah, I suppose Grimes is a good example too of a, of a, of a more current um, person doing that now who really make that purposeful. You know, there's a deliberateness to their work and they tied that in entirely with the music. I mean, Bjork used to do like six videos for an album, like, right. and they were all cool. Like, it wasn't just like she she paid someone to go make something. Oh, okay, thanks. You know, it, it wasn't perfunctory. There was something very inspired about a lot of the stuff that they do. Anyway, so... Yeah, so I like that you are tying your videos into the music thoughtfully because I feel like too many people don't do that. Um, do you have any like directorial aspirations for like film? <sighs> I mean, <laughs> kind of, but it's like, you know, it's so much work to do music video. It's like terrifying to think of doing that every mm -hmm. day for like a month, you know? Right. Um, but someday I feel like I might have like, the gall to that on, um, but not for... I think not for right now yeah too many too many plates right now well like yeah like I said I mean you're you're becoming a you have many many trades over there right now so um so speaking of that so we did mention your your, your memoir earlier um crying in H Mart so for those who don't know and I'm sure you're sick a little bit of this kind of thing but can you give us like the brief what it's about like what is your book about for those who know nothing about it Sure. H Mart is a Korean grocery chain. Um, my mother was Korean. Uh, my father is a Caucasian man. Uh, so I grew up mixed race in a predominantly white town called Eugene, Oregon. Um, it's mostly just about how when my mother passed away, I, I started going to this grocery store and to um, commemorate her. And uh, as a sort of thing. um yeah could be better this by now <laughs> but yeah it's about learning it's about learning how to cook korean food in the wake of loss um of my mother to cancer and and um learning how to preserve my cultural heritage as a mixed race person mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna embarrass you for a second and i'm gonna read this passage i found oh lovely <laughs> I don't know. I like this passage, so I, I wanted to read it for a second. It's only one paragraph. It's about when you had, I think, first moved to your new home. It says, I loved our new home, but I also came to resent it. There were no neighborhood children to play with, no convenience stores or parks within biking distance. I was stranded and lonely, an only child with no one to talk to or turn to but my mother. I was overwhelmed by her time and attention 
a devotion that I learned could be both an auspicious privilege and have smothering consequences. So it seems like between this book and I know um, some of your songs like In Heaven were inspired by or directly about her and your relationship with her, it seems like you had a very important but maybe complicated relationship with her. How would you characterize your relationship with your mother? Um, I think that like most teenage daughters and only children, um, you know, my relationship with my mom was pretty tumultuous. I was also like such a hyperactive, very sensitive kid. And um, on top of that, I had this immigrant parent who came from an entirely different generation and culture. And um, there was a lot that I didn't understand about those differences that I just thought were like inherently cruel characteristics uh, that my mother possessed. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, it was sort of like, uh, it wasn't until like my early 20s that I think that we were able to sort of return to each other um, in in a more mature way on both parts. You know, there's a part in the book where my mom says, I've just never met someone like you. And so um similarly she really struggled to understand me in this way um I was like a very you know I was an entitled American kid and uh grew up with with a lot of privileges that she never had so any sort of um part of our relationship that I struggled with she just felt like she gave me the world and and didn't understand like why 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 we butt heads um there's just a big thing like you know I I was a really creative person and that was something that my mom felt was her duty to protect me from uh for many years and and that was also a major point of contention for us so was she not someone who was supportive really of like a music career she did not want me to pursue a music career um Mm. and which i think is funny because like every asian parent you know like forces their kid to learn how to play like violin or piano but god forbid you actually enjoy it um i wonder if she would have been okay if you were like mom i want to be a concert violinist um maybe yeah Uh, but you know like for any parent I mean it's not the most like uh promising future and she felt like I wouldn't you know have understood and there were a lot of things that she protected me from that I was also really interested in you know like I would have had like gauged ears and like ankle wing (laughs) tattoos if it weren't for my mom's so like you know there were a lot of things that at the time I thought were like absurd things to protect me from but I'm very glad she did uh Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean that was one of those things that really stuck around and like I hated her for it for many years that she kept me from this thing that I loved that I truly felt like was my purpose and you know it's by luck that it worked out for me but it it definitely is not you know I think most parents would would feel like it was their duty to to alert their kid that you know of the like the real financial risk and reality of of pursuing something like this she felt like it was not something that I was taking seriously and um could anticipate and and also the kind of like mental strain um and the emotional consequences of of that type of lifestyle she was very worried about so she just felt like it was her duty to protect me from it and um yeah 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 who knew that I'd wind up here right (laughs) um it's like I was a I was a film major in college so you know when I was going into college and all my 
parents and relatives are like, oh, what are you going to study? And you tell them film. They're like, can you make money with that? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the first question. I'm like, oh. I was a creative writing <laughs> and film studies major. And it's like the most um, nonsensical. Like, it it seems like the, like a real setup for failure. But it's, it, it's, oh, yes, it does. it's exactly <laughs> what I do for a living now. So, you know, that's sometimes true. it You're does a creative work writer and-, <laughs> and I direct music videos and I learned that's so true. much of how to do that from those classes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how did you then like find and decide you wanted to pursue music if you had grown up with at least one parent who was quite avidly trying to fight against that? I just couldn't be kept away from it. And my mom was always like, you know, if you're going to do it, then you always have to have a job or you have to do this first and and do it when you're done with that. Um, but, you know, I started playing music when I was 16 and it wasn't just like the music that I loved. It wasn't just that I loved writing music. I loved the whole industry, you know, like I loved booking shows. I loved playing shows. I loved selling merch. I loved making merch. I loved taking the press photo. I loved, you know, all of the like nitty gritty stuff that like, you know, admin, like I just loved that whole world and um, it just made sense to me. And so I just kept returning to it over and over again. I would, you know, I went to college, but I played in bands like after, you know, my homework was done. I I worked jobs like uh, and I would go on tours and get fired and go back and, you know, (laughs) get another job. Um, So I always knew, I guess in some ways, like it really prepared me that I was going to have to fight for it. My mom definitely like from early on, like made me realize that if I really wanted to do it, I was going to have to support myself and it was going to be hard. Yeah. And, you know, in a, in a way there's a, a goodness almost not, I don't know if a goodness is there, but there's, there, there's definitely a positive spin you can put on that kind of information coming from someone as close as a parent. You know, it's not like this objective person you don't know, right? It's this parent who theoretically, you know, has, what they think is your best interest in mind. So to hear that from them, you know, it sounds like you did take it seriously. You just, like you said, couldn't be kept away. So if your relationship with her was complex, although it sounds like it ultimately did heal itself a bit um, in your 20s, as you said, um, what compelled you to then write this book? Like you could have done anything with this story, um, as we said earlier, you're, you're, you're a songwriter who, who writes relatively personal songs sometimes. Why choose this medium to tell this story? I think I had just written two, um, two records about this experience and it just wasn't enough. Like there was so much of a real story there. Um, mm-hmm. And there was just so much to unpack. So much had happened. I mean, my whole life was like folded around this moment, you know, and my entire existence changed. I changed who I was as a person, my family changed. Um, I was obsessed with it. You know, I was just so wrecked by it that I just needed to sort through the rubble and and make sense of it. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just needed to do that in 80,000 words instead of 1500. And, you know, it was just like, um, yeah, I mean, there's just this real like palpable sense of urgency that I felt to like um, bear my wounds, I think. Uh, that that's really just how I felt was I just needed everyone to know what I endured. I needed to relive things I wanted to relive. I needed to like make sense of what had happened. Was it a scary process writing the book? 
it was it was a really hard process to be honest mm. um i i padded it i think with the beginning of the book it was a, a gentle wade into memory um you know the beginning of the book there, there were a bunch of things that were a real joy to relive and and spend time with and and it was the closest I could feel to my mom in a way to being with her um was was reliving these memories that make up the beginning of the book and I feel like I padded myself um well by putting that first and, and taking that on first before I got into like the deeper darker stuff so it, it was a little scary, but was it healing as well at all? Yeah, it was immensely healing. I feel mm. like I learned um, so much about myself, so much about my mom, about my dad, um, about all the people involved and and grief in general and, and relationships with, with parents. And yeah, I, I feel like I, I'm, I understand what happened uh, so much more deeply and, and understand my mother so much more deeply and myself. It was a... And I feel like I was able to like forgive a lot of the stuff I really regretted and, and hated myself for, for many years. Mm. Were you nervous at all about what your family or especially your dad would think of the book? Um, my dad is like such an open book, like even more so than me just in his day-to-day life that I wasn't, I wasn't worried about him. You know, he would be the first person to to say all, all of this stuff, I think. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I wasn't worried about him at all. <laughs> well, that's good though. I, I do feel like I was honestly very generous to him. Okay. What about do you have relatives on your mom's side? I was worried about my aunt Nami. Um, mostly just because I think Korean culture is really private. My mom was really private, and um the book is going to be translated into Korean next year. And I, I was nervous about what she would think about it because it's you know, it's a very not everyone likes to relive things, you know, um, yeah. and and um, not everyone feels like this is an appropriate thing to share. Um, but it felt important to me, you know, that I'm, as an artist, I think that that's uh, just how I live, you know. Yeah, sometimes it's all you can do, really. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's like a major dilemma that a lot of uh, people face, you know, mm-hmm. especially in, in writing like what um you know some people don't feel like it's appropriate what some people don't feel like is is appropriate to share publicly I think as an artist you have to go and everyone agrees with you (laughs) (laughs) um so I did see you have a few or maybe had a few sort of virtual book tour dates what's uh what's next for you this year as as the world slowly opens up we're supposed to go on as a band um oh yeah the, i think you're coming to connecticut where i am yeah in the late summer i think like late july august we yeah. have dates um and yeah I'm, I'm hoping that those those come to fruition but um yeah i just did like a two-week virtual book tour and um uh yeah hopefully we'll be doing like real life things pretty soon here i That's know i hope plan. so i hope so I mean, I, it's I, I, like I, really unreal but you know the, the time is this is what they said. So right, <laughs> this is what they promised us. So yeah. I hope we can do it. I know I keep seeing tours announced, and I'm just crossing my fingers that they don't get canceled. I think that it's one of those things that, like you know, human beings are so adaptable that it's going to be really weird at first, and then it's going to be normal really quickly. In the same yeah. way that, like, the pandemic. Obviously, like you know, it's not, but like 
we all adapted and uh mm -hmm. yeah that's true and i hope i hope i hope the summer ends up opening up like we is like we think it might so it feels like it's happening it does it feels like we're turning a corner De definitely <laughs> I hope we are, we are um one question from um sometimes i'll ask the uh, the beats per minute writers if they have any burning questions for whoever i'm talking to and uh, a common one was they want to know where your moniker comes from oh it's so boring and lame <laughs> um, i wish i could change it uh you can sure reinvent yourself um <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it would it would i mean maybe i will someday but um you know i just like it is the short answer <laughs> i thought people would see the name and be like what is that that sounds nice and and uh be comforted by something that's very beautiful and appealing mm. i think that's fair enough <laughs> <laughs> um before we go i'm gonna try this um a little lightning round oh boy um I've never done this before. You may be the first and last person I do this with, right. but we're just gonna, I'm just like sort of random questions, not necessarily, not really even about your work and just answer with whatever you want to answer with. Actually, this first one is about your work. So question one, there's only three, so don't feel too intimidated. Question <laughs> one, uh, what's your favorite song you've ever written? Hmm. Right now. <laughs> right now, lately it's been kokomo indiana which is the third track on the new record the new record jubilee coming out june 4th on dead oceans <laughs> number two what is your favorite film score oh wow um i oh, or soundtrack if that's easier round. <laughs> i do love um it's, i would say like any studio ghibli movie oh uh, yeah that's a good like, answer like scores are incredible i was like super inspirational for this soundtrack um called sable I'm, I'm doing the soundtrack for this indie game called sable that's coming out later this year oh, cool. i was really inspired by a lot of um to hisayashi oh his scores are so beautiful yeah. i listened i mean there's some of the only scores that i'll put on just to listen to attentively like not even oh, in yeah. the background because they're just so lovely are so lovely. He should have an Oscar by now. What's that about? Is he not? That is no. Why. He's never even been nominated. I think it's because he's mostly working in Japanese animation, which I don't yeah. think is you know they they're lucky right. honestly to get like yeah. an animated film Oscar, right, 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 but right. he deserves one. I agree. Maybe he'll get a lifetime achievement someday. He should. Um, and finally, what is the last great fiction novel you've read? Um, I read uh. It's called Burning by Mega Majumidar. And uh, yeah, I it, it like didn't feel like my type of book, but I, I just, uh, that was like the last, like the most recent book that I read that I really loved. I've never heard of that or her. Yeah, I think it came out last year and it was fantastic. Oh, okay. I know I keep meaning to read more, but I'm a... I'm an English teacher, so I spend I spend like I nine months of the year talking about books I've read a thousand times. Yeah, it's going to catch up with me that I've said that a lot. So mm. uh, don't, don't be too impressed. <laughs> That's OK. Um, well, thank you very much, Michelle, for talking with me today through all the cyber difficulties. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for I mean. I feel like I've just done this so much where like the other person like kind of gets angry with me for <laughs> they're like totally out of my control and it's so stressful. So I am really glad that you've made me feel so 
comforted through all of this. Oh no, it's fun. like who gets angry? That's so stupid. It's mostly people, I guess, with tighter turnaround deadlines, like live TV or oh, okay. radio that's, or something. They get like true. really pissy and like. Um, I did like this live. I did this thing for and they're like can you stop moving around and i'm like i'm not <laughs> moving why would i be moving they're like do you have us on speakerphone it's like no i don't have you on speaker i'm not a psychopath <laughs> <laughs> it's just like i can't i don't know what to do um so That's thank so you so funny <laughs> thank you so much kind <laughs> about it because you made it you know uh me hey. like not feel major stress about this thing well so, i don't know if it's just because i'm not you know NPR, but I like yeah. But you come on with the soothing podcast voice, well, and you tell me you it's okay, much. and so I feel, <laughs> I'm very appreciative of it. Well, I was just gonna say like I don't know if it's because I'm I'm not NPR, but like I just feel so genuinely grateful when anyone oh. agrees to talk with me. Oh. That like if you're having internet problems, whatever, I'll I'm gonna wait it out. Like that's well, fine. thank you so much for your understanding. Well, uh, of course, thank you so much for your time. I I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have have a good day. Yes, you have a good rest of your evening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you.